in the Word of God, Proverbs chapter number 29. I want to say I appreciate the Sunday school hour, the truths that were given there about our need to put Him first. And uh, if we're ever going to worship Him, and that's been the, uh, if you want to use the word theme, that's been the theme of the services ever since uh, the meeting that we had has been uh, to worship God. And what it is to worship, how it is to worship, what stands in our way of worship. And uh, if we're ever going to worship Him, He's really going to have to be the main thing, the key, and uh, nothing else. And I want to do my best this morning to give you what the Lord has put on my heart. I uh, didn't know. It's been one of them weeks. I really didn't was unsure about what the Lord wanted for the service this morning until yesterday, late yesterday. The Lord began to deal with my heart about this scripture. I thought maybe I might preach them somewhere else and was reading there and it just wouldn't come. And I don't know if that makes sense to you, but I don't know any other way to say it. It just wouldn't come. And if it don't come from Him, I don't want to do it. And uh, you can dream it up and work it up, but that's all you're going to have when it's all over is dreams and work. But if you ever have the presence of God, it will work in us. And that's what I want. Then the Lord began to deal with my heart in this scripture. And I want to read this morning, if you'll stand, rest from your seats, out of reverence, honor to the reading of the Word of God. I don't even want to read a whole verse, just part of a verse. And that's what's on my heart to do this morning. And so I want to try to be obedient and sensitive to the Lord. You do the same this morning as the Word of God goes forth. Proverbs 29 And verse number 18, probably familiar scripture and a familiar portion of a verse. But the Bible said, where there is no vision, the people perish. I want to read that again. Where there is no vision, the people perish. Thank you for standing. You can be seated. I want to preach this morning and ask you the question. Ask us the question, have we lost our vision? Now, I think last Sunday we preached about losing our song. Now, here this morning it's on my heart to preach about losing our vision. I believe in these days there are some things that the people of God have lost. And that we're going to have to get back if we're ever going to worship God. I think there have been some things that we have lost and they've been lost for a long time now. And it's going to require some effort and some determination on our part to get them back. Now I want to do right by the scripture this morning. I don't want to take anything out of its context that we're reading here and we're in uh, the book of Proverbs in chapter 29 and verse number 18 and, and we know that Solomon is the one that's writing this and he has wisdom from God and he's sharing this wisdom uh, if you read in the beginning of Proverbs he addresses it to all his sons and it wasn't just uh, literally the sons or the children of Solomon but it was all the young men the younger generation uh, that was coming up in the land of Israel they wanted to impart to them some wisdom 
by the help of God. And here in the scripture, he makes the statement where there is no vision of the people perish. Uh, now we have to take it in its context first of all. Uh, we have to understand that we're in the Old Testament and the word vision here literally means what it says uh, and it speaks about the open vision or the prophet vision uh, that they would receive from God in the Old Testament. It would be the word that we would use revelation. The prophets uh, in their day would get a revelation from God and they would reveal that unto the people. Uh, see, they had different offices in the Old Testament. Uh, they had the priests. The people would go to the priest uh, and the priest would go to God on behalf uh, of the people. Uh, but then they had the prophet and God uh, would speak to the prophet and the prophet uh, would go to the, uh, to the people on the behalf of God. Uh, and so any vision, any revelation uh, that was given was all Always about God. It came from God. It was a revelation of the person and the plan of God to the people. And here the writer said, when there is no vision, the people perish. Now that word does not necessarily mean to die, to cease to exist, or to go off the scene, but it means to let go. It means to let loose. It means to become relaxed or to let some things slip or to lose the desire for the things of God. I believe as God began to deal with my heart and I'm just going to preach this morning God will help me and you'll pray for me I believe that this is seen firsthand in its context exactly what's being said here is seen firsthand in the book of 1 Samuel in chapter number 3 after Hannah prays and God gives her a son and she calls his name Samuel and she promised the Lord if you'll give me a child I'll give him back to you and when Samuel was weaned they took him to the house of God and left him there with Eli the priest now the Bible said that the child Samuel in 1 Samuel chapter 3 and verse number 1 that the child Samuel ministered unto the Lord before Eli and that the word of the Lord was precious in those days there was no open vision now the word precious means that it was rare that it had become a rare thing in Samuel's day to get a word from God. That there was no open. Now the word open there means a breakthrough or breaking. It's kind of like when we, and I don't want to really use a carnal illustration, but it's kind of like when a news flash comes up and they say we've got breaking news. That's what the word open means. It's a revelation now. It's a vision now. It's something new, it's something fresh and in Samuel's day and Eli's day there was no vision and now the writer here Solomon said when there is no vision the people perish that word perish I said means to let loose or to become slack and it was very evident in Eli's day because there was no vision Eli had two sons their names were Hophni and Phinehas 
and they were doing ungodly things in the house of God during the day where there was no open vision and everybody let it go. Eli let it go. The man of God let it go. And God judged Eli's house because he let it go. And Eli let it go. And everybody else let it go because it was in the day that they had no vision. Now I want to take it from its context and now make a spiritual application to us today. You and I understand that sinners are blind by nature. And Brother Terry preached it so well about Bartimaeus. And when Bartimaeus received his sight, that is a type of a sinner being born again. John Newton wrote, I once was blind, but now I see. And so when the sinner is saved, we receive our sight, or we are given our vision. Now what is our vision? Our vision is all about him. That's what we're made to see. When we get born again, we're made to see him. And seeing him then turns the light on seeing us. That's how Isaiah saw it. He said, I saw the Lord high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple, and the post of the door moved, and the voice of him that spake. And he said, when I saw him, then I saw myself, and I said, woe is me. And so when we get saved and we're given that vision, we're given the vision of Him. But Laodicea in Revelation chapter 3 and verse number 18, it tells us that Laodicea, the church, the people of God, not sinners, now we're talking about saved folk, that they had a vision problem. Now we understand that sinners are blind by nature. That it takes a vision, a revelation, and I know that most people don't like to hear this. And it's kind of like what Brother Tim said this morning in the Sunday school hour about ease of believism and screen door religion. They just want a man to agree to a set of facts. But I'm going to tell you, before a man can ever get born again, and people say in these days that I understand what they're saying. They say that God doesn't give any new revelations. I understand what they mean is God's not adding anything to his book. This, that that's perfect and complete has already come. That's why Paul said we'll, we'll practice these things until that which is complete has come. And then when that which is perfect has come, we'll put these things away. And that's what happened. The apostolic signs were put, put away. He said the Jews require a sign and the Greeks seek after wisdom. But he said now we preach Christ and him crucified. I understand what they mean by that. But I'm going to tell you, God still is in the revelation business. Because a sinner must have a revelation about who God is and who He is before He can ever get born again. If you don't believe me, let's go to the gospel. While Christ walked with the disciples on the shores of Caesarea Philippi, He said, who do men say I am? They said, some say you're Elias, others Jeremiah, John, or one the prophets. He said, but who do you say I am? Peter said, thou art the Christ, 
of the Son of the living God. And Jesus said, Blessed art thou, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood hath not revealed this unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. In other words, what Christ was saying is it's not possible for flesh and blood to convince you about who I am. You must have a revelation of this from my Father. And so it's not possible. I understand that the preacher and the preaching of the gospel is the chosen method of God. But it's not possible for me and myself to convince you about who God is or to convince you about who you are. But you must through the preaching of the Word of God and the power of the Holy Spirit have a revelation from God about who God is and who you are. And after we have that revelation, we come to Christ. We submit to Him. It was touched on this morning in the Sunday school hour. I didn't have no plans to say anything about it, but I feel in my spirit to say so. We are living in a day where everybody wants a Savior, but nobody wants a Lord. We're living in a day that they just want to get out of hell, and that's all they want to do. They want to live like they want to live. Do what they want to do. And there are many people in the name of God, in the name of religion, in the name of the Baptist who are signing them in and joining them to the church and baptizing them when they've never really been born again. I'm going to tell you this morning, if you get saved, he'll, you'll have to take him as he is. And his incomplete name in the Word of God, his complete name is the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And he will be your Savior, but he'll also be your Lord. He will not be your Savior without being your Lord. And he won't be your Lord without being your Savior. But they go hand in hand. He'll save you from damnation, but then the price he paid uh, procures you to himself, uh, makes you a peculiar possession unto him. And Paul said, we do not belong to ourselves because we're bought with a price. But therefore, he is our Lord. That's right. I mean, we can go to the New Testament all through it. Paul said, you were sometimes servants to sin. But he said, no longer are you servants to sin, but now unto Christ. We are made free, but we are the servants unto Christ. He is our master. He is our Lord. That's what Thomas declared, my Lord and my God. Oh yeah. Yeah. And that's what it is. That's what he is. He's our Lord and our Savior. And so after we get saved, He gives us our vision. But then it must be, according to the Word of God, there are ways for this vision to become impaired. I'm not talking about getting lost again and having to be saved again. I'm not talking about all of that. I'm not talking about falling from grace and that doctrine. Really, it is in the Word of God. But it's not in it like they preach it is. The Bible said if we rely on works alone, then we're falling from grace. That's what the Bible said. 
if we take if we take a grace out, and we must take grace out if we're going to emphasize works. If it's all by works, then it cannot be by grace. For Paul said, "It's by grace we are saved, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast." And so we don't work to be saved. We work because we are saved. But the Bible said we're to work out our own salvation. That does not mean we sit down and say, okay, God, here's what I'm going to do for you to say. It doesn't mean we go to the table and bargain. God don't bargain with anybody. You'll come God's way or you'll not come at all. But we work it out. That means that that's been put in us. We work it out in us. Uh, so that others may see what God has done for us. Uh, but it is an apparent fact according under the Word of God that after we're saved and we receive our vision that something along the life's journey can impair and cause us to lose our vision. Now I'm going to preach how God put it on my heart. i got four things that God put on my heart last night. And I want to preach it and carry this type and this allegory, this picture of our eyesight, of our vision, and things that impair and hinder our vision naturally and hindering our vision spiritually. I'm asking you, asking us, have we? God put it on my heart last night to preach this morning on not have you. But he said, I want you to preach on have we. Have we, you and I included, us as the church, have we lost our vision? First of all, I want to say, are there obstacles keeping you from being able to see Him? Now I said this morning that the vision, the right vision, if we want to say 2020 vision, is to see Him and Him alone. That's what true vision, true spiritual vision is. It's all about Him. And if we see Him for who He is, it was mentioned this morning about burden for sinners. And if we see Him for who He is, it will give us a burden for sinners. If we see Him for who He is, it will give us a desire to scoot up closer to Him. If we see Him for who He is, it will make us want to live right and holy and acceptable unto Him. So the reality of it is we spend all our time preaching about all these fixes and the fix is really just to see Him. But what is it? Are there obstacles? Is there something blocking our view of Him? Has something or someone come between us and Him? And it's keeping us from being able to see Him for who He is. I want to ask you this morning, is that obstacle in your life a person? Are there people keeping you from seeing Him? It was so in Luke chapter 19. There's a man by the name of Zacchaeus. And the Bible said he desired to see Jesus who He was. But he could not for the press. In other words, the people. I understand that the Bible goes on 
uh, to tell us that he was little of stature. I understand that he was shorter than everybody else. But the reality is there uh, that there were people in the crowd uh, that stood between Zacchaeus and the Lord. And I also understand that Zacchaeus in the Scripture is a type of a lost man. I'm trying to preach about the church, but that's the one God put on my heart. Are there people in your way of keeping you from seeing Him? Now, this goes twofold here. I want you to hear me. The Lord began to deal with my heart some more this morning on the way to church. It could be that they have come in. It could be that they have placed themselves in, their, in your vision between you and God, but it could be, it could be that you have put them there. It could be that your vision has changed from Him to them, and you're too busy looking at them and analyzing them and criticizing them and constructing them and seeing what's wrong with them, and it's taken your eyes off of Him. Oh yeah. I thought about Mary, that woman with the alabaster box when she comes into the house where the Lord is. He's in the house of Simon the leper. There's a bunch of them there at the table with him, his disciples included. And the Bible said there comes this woman and she's got an alabaster oint, a box of ointment of spite and are very precious. And the Bible said she came in, she broke the box, and she poured the ointment on his head, and she washed his feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. She gave everything that she could do him. Her vision was on him and him alone. It didn't matter to her who was in the house. It didn't matter to her what they said about her. It didn't matter to her what they were doing. She had him in her side, and he was all that mattered. There were some in the crowd that they should have had him in their side. They should have been caught up with him. His own disciples that walked hand in hand with him and step in step with him. Mark's gospel, I believe it is, tells us that his disciples, his very men, began to criticize the woman and what she did. They said, could not disappoint have been sold for 200 pieces of silver. And of what purpose is this waste? What a statement. I mean, really think about this morning. I'm just kind of in a slower gear, I know. But I'm telling you, we read through these words and don't think about what's being said in the Word of God. Here's a woman giving everything she's got to the Lord and the Lord's crowd, the church, if you want to take them as the type, the people of God. His men are saying what she's doing for Him is a waste. Why would they say such a thing? Well, I want to say first of all because they weren't looking at Him. They were too busy looking at her. Maybe, maybe, just maybe it could have been that they were so caught up in her and maybe she wasn't doing it exactly like they would have done it. And so they were too busy criticizing how she was doing it when they should have been at his feet with her doing it as well. I believe that's where we are in the church today. I really believe that. I understand there are some things we cannot 
There's some things we cannot overlook. There's some things that there is no debate about. There's some things in the Scripture, it's black and white. I mean, there is no other way. But I'm telling you, the people of God have become so petty and divided about preference. I'm not talking about doctrine. I'm talking about preference. We've got so particular about our preference that we've got our eyes off Him and our eyes on everybody else and all around us, folks are perishing. We're losing it. We are losing some things. I understand we have the victory. I understand the battle's already been fought. But we are losing some things, some precious things. They're getting slack and slipping by us in these days because we can't see Him. For all the people. All the people. I wonder this morning if you can't see Him because of all the problems. Sometimes we get our eyes off of God and get our eyes on all the problems. There were 12 men who were sent in to spy out the land of Canaan. They all, 12, saw the same thing. All 12. All 12, when they came back, all agreed on what they saw. I'm preaching right. Look in your Bible. They all twelve agreed on what they saw. Now Joshua and Caleb magnified the fruit. They said we went, we walked through, we saw the land. (coughs) It's a good land. It's the land God said it was. And this is the fruit of it. And the other ten... They never disagreed. They agreed. This is the fruit. We did see the land. It was what God said it was. But then ten of them spoke up and they said we saw the sons of Anak there. And they are very great. And we're like grasshoppers in their sight. And Joshua and Caleb never disagreed. They were there. They were bigger than the Israelites. They were in greater number than the Israelites. But what the difference was is that the whole time Joshua and Caleb are seeing God and the other ten are seeing the problems and they said we're not able to go up against it because of all the problems. And Joshua and Caleb stilled the people and said let's go up at once for we are well able to possess. You say, how could they say that? Because they saw God. They had Him in their vision. While all the other ten had all their problems. The problems had stepped in. And they had blocked the vision of God. They had eclipsed the light of God. And they could no longer see God for all their problems. I wonder about you this morning. Can you see Him? Do you have a vision of Him? Or have your problems come in the way? I wonder this morning if there are pressures and priorities that have come in your way. 
I'm just preaching what God put on my heart. Jesus walks in the house. And there's two women in the house. Mary and Martha. He's in the house. Going to be the last time he's ever in the house. And Mary finds herself a place at the feet of the Lord. She sits intently, not saying anything, but hanging on every word that he says. And Martha is busy with much serving. Now I'm going to preach this two ways because this is how God put it on my heart. And any other preacher that gets it on their heart from God can preach it however God puts it on theirs. But it could be said that Martha was under pressure and she let that pressure keep her from seeing the Lord. It could be, we don't know, it is said possibly that Simon was Martha's husband. We don't know. But could it be that Martha's husband said, now the Lord is coming to our house today and you better put on your best dress and you better cook your best meal. You better make sure his glass never gets empty and his plate is never lacking and all this pressure is put on her and because of all the pressure, she can't see the Lord. I had never thought of it that way till the Lord dealt with my heart last night. And I'm going to tell you what we're doing in modern day religious circles. We're putting so much pressure on the people of God. I'm tell you hear me well. It's on my heart strong this morning. I believe in sanctification. But I believe that sanctification is a progressive work. That God will work it in you. I'm not talking about shying away from preaching on sin. If it's what's on my heart, that's what I'm going to try to do by the grace of God. But we have spent in our days in the Baptist circle putting so much pressure on the people of God that it's become a bond to them and they're so wrapped up in pleasing this preacher and that preacher and this group and that group that they have lost sight of God because of all the pressure. I believe that's right. I believe that's right. I know it's right. I know it's right. But then we could say it could have been Martha's own self. Could have been her priorities. She could have said, now the Lord's coming. And I got to make my house as clean as I can get it. And I got to cook the best meal I can cook. And I got to show the Lord what kind of cook I am. And it might have been with good intentions, but her priorities were out of line. So much so, either in response to the pressure or in response to her priorities, she tells the Lord to tell Mary to get up and come in the kitchen and help her. And the Lord said there ain't but one thing needful and Mary's chosen that good part. I'm going to tell you in these days we got a lot of folk in the church house that have become so pressured and lost their sense of priority that it has cost us our vision of seeing the Lord. 
Would you agree? I'm going to tell you the society we live in. We can get out. I'm, I'm not preaching mean-spirited this morning. I'm preaching from my heart. We can get out of the bed for anything else. We'll get up at 4 o'clock in the morning and put our camouflage on and pack a backpack and get a hunting rifle and climb a mile up a mountain to a tree stand and sit and shiver in the cold because it's our priority to do so. But yet when it comes time to come to the house of God, we can't hardly roll out of bed and come to the house of God. We come dragging in. I'm not preaching me. I'm preaching right this morning. And it's because we have lost our vision the verse said when we lose it the people perish the word perish I said means to show a lack of restraint to let go and to loosen up and that's where we are that's where we are I'll go further than that I can go a lot further than that we don't just get up and I hunt and I love it I do with the best of them. But it's got its place. And its place better never come before God. But I'll tell you what we do and these other men hunt. If you don't hunt, I'm sorry. That's just my what I've got on my heart and on my mind. That's what I do. I don't know anything else really to relate to. But we can preach about a lot of other things. We can preach about work. And we can preach about hobbies. Our priorities can get out of line about anything. But I tell you about hunting, what we do, we don't get up, spring up at 4.30 on Saturday morning to go hunting. I don't at least. And go rummaging around in the closet in the dark trying to find my gun and find my shells and find my coat and find my pants and find my long jaw, all them things. I, I made preparation before. I spend the days preceding, uh, probably two or three days before, uh, my backpack is packed, uh, my shells are in the pack, uh, my camouflage is laid over it, uh, my gun's out and clean uh, and ready to go. Why is it? Because that's what I want to do. But we bounce up on Sunday morning. We ain't give God a second thought in two or three days. Come sliding in the churchyard sideways because we barely make it to service and walk through the door and then we wonder why. We wonder why that we don't feel him. We wonder why that he doesn't show up. We wonder why we feel so far off. I'm going to tell you, it goes farther than that. I just feel like the Lord wants me to preach here just a minute. It's more than just packing the bag two or three days before. But there'll be months before that we come, me and Dale, and he ain't here this morning because they had a baby and she's beautiful. You ought to go see her and they'll be here sometime and you'll get to see her. I was excited about her coming out. I ain't never been an uncle before. I told my wife I thought I'd be excited, but I didn't know I'd be near as excited as I am. But he ain't here this morning. But me and him hunt a lot together, and we'll climb up the mountain, and Brother Harlan comes too, and puts cameras in the trees, and hang stands, put them up, take them down. I got a farm in Kentucky. God's blessed me with, and my family just a little piece of ground, and we'll drive five and a half hours. I have. We did, and set up a feed and put up cameras and hang stands and pay money for corn. I mean, it's going out to roof. But guess what? Most hunters are still going to pay it because that's what they want to do. You're right, 
you're willing to spend the time and pay the price because it's what they love. And it translates the same into spiritual things. What you love, what you have your sight set on, is what you will pay the price for and spend the time in preparation for. And I'm going to tell you, I mean, I can't get away. I'm just going to have to keep preaching. I ain't hunted near as much as some of you. And I ain't killed near as many as some of you. But I hear it from everybody, old and young alike, no matter how many they hunt, no matter how, how many times they hunt, no matter how many times they pull the trigger. You get a buck, comes in your sights, and you know that your gun's in range. You know that as far as your calculations are, this, this boy is going down. It still thrills you to pull the trigger. And you know what you say? It's been worth all that preparation and all that time spent to have this moment right here. I'm going to tell you it'll be the same with God when we come into the house of God. There are times I've been dragging bottom and so have you. I've been trying my best to live right and so have you. I've been trying my best to pray and study and so have you. And we come in and feel like nothing's going to happen and the rains are falling, the winds are blowing and nothing ain't moving. But all of a sudden here he comes and he lines up in our side and the trigger gets pulled in our heart and we go away saying it's been worth it all. Have we lost our vision? Are there obstacles in our way? I want to say this morning, and I'll try to hurry through the others and be done. I thought about some foreign objects can get in your eyes and impair your vision. It causes irritation. You can't see like you... Doesn't mean you can't see at all. What I'm preaching this morning is not that you can't see. Oh, we were given vision when we got saved. But it's that we're not seeing what we need to see. Them foreign objects get in your eyes. I'm just preaching this morning. Personal experience. I'm real personal when I preach. People criticize that, but I don't know other way to be. I've worked a lot with Jacob. He's one of the only men I know, and I'm not making fun of him. We all ought to do it. He's about the only man I know before he fires up a saw. He's going to have on safety glasses and earplugs or earmuffs. I never do it. I don't give it a second thought, Brother Tim. You're probably the same way. I plug it in, get the board, and go right to town. I'm going to tell you how bad I am. I'm so bad sometimes... And I'm so disorganized. I am. If it wasn't for my wife, I wouldn't have anything. And I don't know where I put. I know I've got the stuff. I just don't know where it is half the time. And if I can't find it, I get aggravated. And when I get aggravated, I just go do it anyway. And I went to go weed eat before. And you know what a big no-no it is. Or to weed eat without safety glasses on. But I've done it. And get something in my eye. And get mad because I knew it was going to happen. And then spend the next 10 minutes 
trying to dig it out of your eye and you're not able to see. Oh yeah. We get all them things in our eye, but there are preparations out there if we'd make. It wouldn't happen. And I'm going to tell you, the flesh gets in our eyes sometimes and it causes a bunch of irritation. The flesh gets to looking and they, we look at other people and that's what the flesh says. We, we like to blame everything on the devil. I think 99% of it is the flesh. You can disagree with me if you want to. The flesh is a greater enemy to us than the devil ever thought about. I know he's an enemy. I know he's the adversary of the people of God. But I have more trouble out of me than anybody. Get to looking around anybody else. And they're getting blessed. And if we had the Lord in our focus, we'd be thanking God for them being blessed. But our flesh gets in our eye and it causes irritation. And we go to saying, well, I wonder why they're getting blessed and I'm not. I live better than they do. They've done this and they've done that and this is in their past and that's in their past and God must not love me and, and God must God this and God that and them this and them that and we get irritated because we've lost our vision because our flesh has gotten the way. Sometimes our feelings get in the way. And I know it's a touchy subject to preach to church people about feelings. But I'm going to tell you, I heard the old saying growing up, and I never knew how true it was till I experienced it, but there is no trouble like church trouble. And thank God, I'm not bragging in me or you or anybody else but Him. Thank God we don't have any here. It's miserable to have church trouble and 99.999% of church trouble starts because somebody got their feelings hurt. They weren't looking at God. They were, their feelings got in their eyes. Try. Sometimes fear will get in our eyes. And it will cause us to not be able to see Him like we ought to. I thought about all these things. When foreign objects get in your eye, do you know what the first thing your eye does? It waters. Have you ever got the thing out of your eye and your eye still producing tears to try to... Have you ever tried to look through teary eyes? Your vision's all blurry. I had never thought about it till the Lord got to speak into my heart this morning that I'm glad there'll be no tears in heaven. There'll be no more crying over there. Our vision will be exactly right. We'll be able to see Him for all eternity without the flesh, without our feelings, without our fears. We'll get to see Him unobstructed. Paul said we see through a glass darkly now. We can't see it all, but one day face to face. Let our vision be right over there. But then I thought, and I'm about done. I'm trying my best to hurry. I've already preached way longer than I meant to. Could it be that you can't see because you've been out of the light too long? You ever been in the dark and flipped the light on? Kind of. Puts a hamper on you seeing. We got a whole lot of people of God that are not walking in the light like they ought to. You say you talk, you say, and they're lost. No, 
Can I take you to a story in the Word of God where they come to arrest the Lord and all His disciples scattered and Peter followed afar off. You can say what you want to about Peter. Criticize Peter if you want to. When the Lord got up, He said, go tell my disciples and Peter that I'll meet them in Galilee. And I'm not necessarily preaching this morning about the denial, but the Bible said that He warmed him. Go home and read it. He warmed himself by a coal, a fire of coals. Now I'm pretty simple minded. I know what coals are. And there might be some fire down in them, but it ain't really a fire like we think about it. It puts out, you have been around coals, it puts out just enough heat to knock the chill off. That's what Peter's doing. He's getting accustomed Yeah. You ever been with somebody? And I mean, everybody has their own preferences. Everybody has their own preferences about the thermostat. Me and Brother Jeremy Oakley have stayed together several times over the years in motel rooms, preaching, preaching meetings together. And he likes it cold, and I don't. But you know what I do? I get accustomed to it. I freeze to death on about the first. Now, I'm not being comical, I'm being true. I freeze to death. About the first two days, and then finally my body gets adjusted. You spend enough time in it, you'll adjust. And I'm going to tell you, I'm afraid. I'm afraid that's what a bunch of people of God have done. We've spent too much time in the dark, and we're getting a little too adjusted to the dark. Peter got a little too adjusted to the cold. And when they began to say, I know you and you know him, he denied. John said, if we want fellowship with him, don't say if we want salvation, we're not working to be saved or stay saved. Our works produce fellowship. If we want fellowship with him, we must walk in the light as he is in the light. What said? If we walk in the lights, He is in the light. We have fellowship one with another. The blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, cleanses us from all sins. He said, we walk in the darkness, we err. It's not meant for us. We're not in the dark anymore. The Bible said we were translated from darkness into the kingdom of His Son, into light. It's not meant for us to walk in darkness. But little by little, the people of God are starting to turn their way and they're getting a little more and more accustomed to the dark. Then I want to ask you this morning, and I'm done. I I know it's a little quiet, but I've done what I needed to do. Is he out of focus this morning? Are you looking through the wrong lens? I told my wife the other day, I said, I'm going to have to go back to the eye doctor. My eyes are getting worse and worse. I don't say that for pity this morning. It's just the reality. I'm becoming more... There was a time I've had glasses for years and I used to... Now hear me this morning, I... Never thought about this till just now. The Lord put it on my heart. Used to. Boy, this makes a good spiritual application. 
Let me tell you how when I used to wear my glasses. When I come to church. It's the only time I ever wore them. I could get by. I could squint and get by and make it okay. But I put my glasses on when I come to church and read my Bible. I didn't want to get anything wrong. But I'm becoming more and more dependent on correctional lenses so that I can see what I need to see the way it should be seen. I'm going to tell you what we do. We live all our life with Him out of focus. And we come in the house of God and we want the Lord to slap glasses on us spiritually so we can see for the hour or two that we're here and then go back out and take them back off again. We need spiritually, we need correctional lenses. We can't see the Lord without the lens of the Word of God and the lens of the Spirit of God. We must have them in order for Him to be in right focus. We can't look through the eye of the flesh, the lens of the flesh, the lens of family, the lens of feelings. What I mean, the list goes on and on and on and on. Have we lost our vision? Can we see Him this morning like we need to see Him, like we can see Him, like we should see Him? And if we'll see Him right, all the other things will be right. If He is in focus, if He comes first, and everything else will be in its right place. Have we lost our vision? As we stand all over the house, I'm done this morning.